This is The Visible Hand, a podcast about organizations, economics, and management. My name is Jordi Blanes Vidal, and I am an associate professor at the Department of Management, London School of Economics. My guest today is Trang Nguyen, who is an assistant professor at the Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University. Today, we are going to talk about her paper, Trust and Innovation Within the Firm, Evidence from Match CEO Firm Data. Hello, Trang. Welcome to the program. Hello, Jody. Thanks a lot for including me in this wonderful series. Your paper seeks to establish a causal effect between the trust of the CEO at the top of a firm and the innovation outcomes within the firm. Can you start by telling us, what do you mean by trust? So at the very high level, I think of trust as a probability that an agent assess that another agent that he or she is dealing with will take the proper course of action. And we know that complex are incomplete. We can never specify all the courses of action that a party should take. And therefore, trust matters a lot for economic interactions. As Arrow put it, in virtually every economic transaction, there's an element of trust. In my very specific context, I study the impact of the CEO trust toward employees or specifically researchers in the firm and how that impacts the behavior of the researchers and their innovation outcome. And as we get to later on in the discussion, trust very specifically in my paper is the prior belief of the CEOs about the type of researcher that he or she is dealing with. Let me see what I understand. Generally speaking, trust is the likelihood that we have of assigning outcomes that are a little bit disappointing to just bad luck rather than bad intentions on the other party that we are transacting with or that is working for us or incompetence on the part of the other party that we are dealing with. Exactly. In your specific context, you're saying that trust is the likelihood that we assign to a bad outcome being the result of bad luck rather than, the, in this case, the researcher being a bad type, somebody who is not uh, competent. Exactly. That's a very um, nice way to capture the concept of trust in the context of research innovations. As you said, you know, research, we all know that is so uncertain and failures or bad things happen all the time. That can be the result of we trying to take high risk and going after a high risk, high return project that end up in failure, or that can be the impact, the result of uh, a certain researchers not taking the right amount of effort or not being capable of taking the right course of action to produce the high innovations. And so in the context of incomplete information, a manager or CEO, when observing bad luck or bad outcome, cannot really tell for sure whether it's a result of bad luck or bad type. And therefore, the prior belief of the CEOs toward the type of researchers that he or she's working with this is context now. It's very important. And that's what I think or what I mean by trust. Trust is a prior belief of whether this result is coming as a result of bad luck or bad type. So in your paper, you establish a link between trust and innovation in the firm. But of course, trust is pervasive everywhere in the economy. Like if I hire an electrician to fix a plug in my house and the electrician takes twice as long or makes a mess out of it, it could be that he didn't work hard or that he's incompetent, or it could be that the problem was very difficult. And I don't know because I'm not an electrician myself. Exactly. So my view of what is the reason for that outcome will be the trust that I have just generally in society or specifically with respect to that electrician from an ex-ante perspective. Exactly right. And that trust, that will also affect 
um, the choice or incentive of the electrician that you are dealing with. Or in my very specific context, it's the researchers. Because when dealing with a very trusting managers or CEO, the researcher will have a higher incentive to take the high-risk project, knowing that if failure happens, he will not face the consequences of being fired or you know negative consequences coming out of that. So you are talking now about innovation, which is obviously the second part of this link that we're establishing here in your paper between trust and innovation. What is innovation and, and what makes the innovating activity different from some other activity that we undertake in society? So innovations, I'll take the research, it's really about the unknown, right? Coming up with ideas, process, products, services, you know, things that are not clearly defined, not known from before. That's why it's called innovation. And the process of getting to innovations is also highly uncertain. There are many different um, courses, different courses of actions, or different choice of projects that one can take in order to get to the end goal of coming up with innovative products or services. And uh, that is very hard to clearly define beforehand, to even know the form and describe that. And so the problem, the issues of incomplete contract, which is prevalent in the economy, is even more severe in the context of research innovation. It's impossible for a manager or CEO to write out a contract specifying that, no, this is the type of project I have to take. This is a really well-defined path that you need to do in order to derive at what we want to get at, at the end. And because of this incomplete or the, the increased severity of the incomplete contract in this context, trust become even more important. So the causal effect of trust on innovation, um, the, the mechanism is that a CEO that trusts more is more likely to assign failure to the researcher having bad luck rather than being incompetent. That provides higher incentives to the researcher uh, to take risks. That's the basic idea. Exactly. But of course, the big contribution of the paper is empirical. What is the data that you use in your study? I think the two main challenges of answering these empirical questions is one on the measurement of trust, especially at CO level. Obviously, it's an uh, almost impossible task to get the CO into a room to really measure their trust attitude, either through survey or trust game. And the second part is identification. But let me first start talking about the, the measurement of seal trust. So what I use in my data, uh, in my paper, is a measure of seal inherited trust, which is actually inferred from the seal ethnic origins as inferred from the last name. And this is where I build on a lot of literature on inherited cultural traits that says that an individual uh, beliefs and preference or cultural traits is very much linked to the cultural origins through a process of intergenerational cultural transmissions. Or put differently, even though uh, inherited trust does not fully measure the individual trust level, it captures an important element of that. And so that's a concept that I'm measuring here. In terms of actually measuring that, I proceed to first uh, build a mapping between last name of CEOs and to take a step back, these are CEOs of large U.S. public firms, so most of them are U.S. citizens who are based in the U.S., and they construct a mapping between their last name and their ethnic origin using data from U.S. census that have information on the names of the full U.S. population before the 1940s and their ancestry. And then I use that mapping of ethnic origin based on the last name to predict the CEO generalized trust or how much that CEOs uh, trust an anonymous employee that he's working with using data from representative survey of US populations and data of both the ethnic origins and the trust attitude. And so that allowed me to have a predictor or a measure or proxy for CEO generalized trust. I also measure the CEO bilateral trust 
of like a CEO coming from a certain ethnic origins to good inventors coming from a different ethnic origins using data on bilateral trust between different European countries from the Eurobarometric, which is a survey of representative sample of European population. So that gave me two measures of CEO trust. Can I stop you here for a second, just for us to like be a little bit more specific about this. Can you just give us some example of a country with a lot of trust and another country with very little trust? Okay, so in my data, um, using data from US, so these are representative US um, sample of um, US populations, what turned out is that uh, the Belgian and the Swiss are the one among the high trust uh, ethnicity in the US based on the measure. The Italian and the Greek are at the lower end among the different European origins. If I am a CEO in the US, American citizen, but my ancestors are Belgian, okay, let's say I am called Frasule, for instance, my ancestors are associated with a lot of trust. This implies that I will also have a lot of trust, and this is generalized trust, which means that I will trust everybody. I, am, I tend to have a very positive view of people. If, on the other hand, I am of Italian origin, my ancestors have very little trust, I inherited very little trust, and therefore... I will tend to think, to assign bad outcomes to people being competent, having bad intentions or whatever. I am then called, I don't know, Verdi. <laughs> My name is Verdi. Then you talk about bilateral trust. And this is the trust of uh, my ancestors towards people from specific countries. So let's say that will be English and French. Let's say they, you know, typically have had wars against each other. They don't trust each other so much. Whereas uh, Austrians and Germans will have high bilateral trust between them, even accounting for the fact that maybe both of them will tend to be quite trustworthy in general. These are the two main measures that you use. Exactly. These are the two main measures. Yeah. So this is the measurement of trust. What other data do you need to conduct this study? Yeah, so this is the key uh, measurement for what we call the explanatory variable trust. The outcome variable is where I follow the large literature innovations using patterns as an outcome for innovations. And of course, there's a concern that, you know, industry vary in their degree of patenting and whether pattern really capture the full extent of innovation we do out there, because some innovation actually do not translate into pattern. But um, as I will tell you a little bit, that my empirical strategy uh, is actually a within firm or even within CEO, which actually taken uh, account for all the difference in industry level of patenting and also exploit um, the quality of the patent. So not just only the count of the patents, but the quality as measured by their citation count and a lot of other measures of quality to really study the effect of increased trust on not just the count, but also the distributions of patent quality. That's really met to the concept that we talked about how trust encourages sort of this life um, saving type of innovation, of these really high quality innovations. So that's my main outcome variable on innovations. In terms of the data set, I'm focusing on US firms to fix the context of the country. So fixing all firms in the US, these are large US public firms over a 12 year period between 2000 and 2011. So that gave me a final sample of close to 4,000 firms and 6,000 CEOs who are um, the executive of this firm during this period. And that's the main data set that I'm using for this question. So your data set is a panel of firms and years, essentially. Yeah. And then you follow the same firm and the firm had a CEO called Verdi 
and then Verdi is replaced by Frasule. Uh, an Italian is uh, a CEO with Italian origin is replaced by a CEO with Belgian origin. And then controlling for firm fixed effects and controlling for time fixed effects, you will find that suddenly the researchers in that firm start patenting more or filing more patents. Exactly. And you attribute this to innovation has increased in the firm. Yeah. So that's my first identification strategy. Exactly as you said, that I'm using changes in CO in the firm, looking at changes in the CO trust, following that turnover and the subsequent change in patenting to infer this relationship or association between CO's general I trust and the firm patent. And exactly as you said, I find the increase in the CO translate to increase in firm patenting on an annual basis. But of course, we worried about a lot of, you know, culture can be packaged, trust is correlated with a lot of different things, other cultural characteristics, as well characteristic of the country of origins of the CO, and also other type of an observable characteristic of the CO. So I control for a lot of things that I can control for at the macroeconomic level of the country of origin of the CO, as well as other cultural traits. And this relationship between trust of the CEO and the firm's patenting remain very robust after controlling. But again, a lot of other things I cannot control for. So what I rely on to really tease out the causal relationship between trust and um, innovation of the firm is where I look at the within CEO relationship. So here I'm looking at the firm at the specific point in time under a specific CEO, but having different R&D labs in different countries or different inventors coming from different group of ethnic origins that allow me to say that a change in CEO will lead to a change in the bilateral trust of that CEO toward the specific lab and consequently changing the level of patenting. Also to give an illustration, imagine that there's a US firm headquartered in the US, but they have two R&D labs in France and Germany. And before that, we have a British CEO who have really relatively high transfer with the German, but lower transfer with the French. And after that, for exogenous or potential endogenous regions, that the quick, um, the British CEO is replaced with the quick CEO, who now actually have higher trust toward the French, but lower trust toward the German, based on my measure of bilateral trust. And I also observe changes in patenting by the French lab versus the German lab. And there's an increase in patenting in the French lab after controlling for the baseline effect of changes in patenting uh, in the firm in general. And so that's a variation that I'm using that allow me to control for seal fixed effects, uh, firm year fixed effects, or even firm lab fixed effects. And I do find that even in this very stringent uh, specifications, change in seal bilateral trust lead to change in firm's patenting. So let me see whether I understood it. Two identification strategies. The first one we have already talked about a panel of firms and years, mm -hmm. difference in differences, turnover of the CEOs imply a change of the generalized trust of the CEO at the top of the firm. Mm -hmm. You find that when Frasule is replaced by, or Verdi is replaced by Frasule, patents increase. Okay. Then you said, but wait a second, being Belgian rather than being Italian is not only associated with having more trust. It is associated also with other things. Exactly. It's associated with liking muscles rather than pizza. Right? And it could be these other things that are the ones that are causing this increase in patents. So the problem there is that a CEO is a bundle of characteristics. In addition to trust, there are other things that come together with the shock yes. of the turnover of the CEO. 
And then it is where you have your second empirical strategy. And the second empirical strategy is not a panel of firms and years anymore. What is it a panel of? It's a panel of what you could say, an RD lab within the firm. So if you think of a firm as an aggregation of different labs in different countries, okay. then you can think of this as a panel of different R&D labs over time. So now I'm not tracking Johnson & Johnson over time. I'm tracking Johnson's lab in France, Johnson's lab in Germany, and that's a panel. Of- so it's a panel of innovating plants or R&D labs, as you said, yeah. over time. And then we have that there is a shock at the firm level. Yes. But that shock affects different labs differently. Yes. Because some labs are in countries that the new CEO is going to trust a lot. Whereas other labs are in countries that the new CEO is not going to trust at all. You said, for instance, that when the CEO of Johnson & Johnson uh, is English and the two labs are in France and in Germany, then the English CEO will trust more the Germans than the French. That is correct. But when he's replaced by a Greek CEO, then the Greeks don't trust the Germans so much. They trust the French more. Okay, so we have that the labs have not changed. The shock at the firm level has not changed, but the bilateral trust has changed. Exactly, right. Which means that we can really sort of rule out changes at the CEO characteristic level, you know, whether CEO is more capable, less capable, like pizza versus um, other things, you know, all of that can be, we can rule that out. We could also rule out the things that are related to the characteristic of the lab. You know, for example, if you think on average German lab do better than the French lab, that is can be ruled out. What is really left is this bilateral relationship that has changed between the CEO and the lab that leads to the change in the patenting. I just want to be clear about what this new strategy buys you. And my opinion is that it buys you a lot for the following reason. It is often the case that we look at experimental studies, lab experiments or field experiments, and and we tend to think, oh, the treatment has been randomized. Therefore, we can be reasonably confident about the internal validity, causality of these effects or, or whatever. But many of these experimental studies are also associated with treatments that are bundles of things. For instance, There are lots of experimental studies on whether men and women behave differently in whatever way, okay? They are more competitive or less competitive. Very important papers, very influential, that look at uh, gender effects. But of course, what these studies do is to randomly allocate the individual. But gender is only one of the characteristics of the individuals that are randomly allocated in these studies. And even in these experimental studies, it is possible that gender is correlated with a bundle of unobserved characteristics that are the ones actually leading to the effects that these studies uncover. Your data obviously doesn't doesn't lend itself to experimental variation, but the fact that you have this within-individual effect allows you to do better than some experimental papers along this dimension, because you can tease out a certain characteristic of the individual that has been not randomized, but that has entered the firm in a somewhat exogenous way, as opposed to others. So as we said earlier, the effect of eating muscles versus pizza, that has been held constant. And now it is the directed trust towards certain labs 
that we are exploiting the variation of. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's really the interpretations that I'm trying to drive at that is not driven by things at the individual level that comes in the package, but really it's a within individual type of effect that's coming from different attitude or trust here specifically of that individual towards different labs or to inventors. Of course, whenever you do a single step in the right direction, you feel very proud of yourself and then you wonder how many steps there are, <laughs> there are left to achieve perfection. Even when you are looking at the bilateral trust, it is still possible that this bilateral trust is correlated with other bilateral things. Exactly. But I know that in your paper, you also control for at least some observables. Mm -hmm. That's right. Definitely. So here is where I have to be very frank that in terms of very sort of strict, robust identification, empirical identification, this is sort of where I hit, you know, the, the end of it is where I have this bilateral trust controlling for fixed individual characteristic, but there still remain bilateral variation that might not be trust. I can explain this. So I try to address or really sort of understand the story related to that in two different ways. The first one is, as you mentioned, is really controlling for this potential other bilateral variations. You now thinking of what can really matter in this context. Is it about trust or is it about the fact that they share some a lot of cultural proximity, uh, cultural similarity. They speak the same language. They actually can coordinate with each other better or just straight out favoritism that because I'm French, I like to give resource to the French lab and vice versa and not so much of resource to the British lab. So for that one, I construct a lot of different bilateral measures in terms of language proximity, geographical proximity, um, um, cultural proximity based on other dimensions of cultural characteristics. And what I find is that not very surprisingly, like this bilateral, other bilateral control um, also explains some part of the increase in innovation, but not all the effect of trust. Or put differently, that once I put all these controls in, the effect of trust still remain there and very robust and significant. So that sort of give me confidence that it's not really uh, other thing, but trust also matter here. And the second way that I get to really understanding is it trust or others is thinking about the mechanism. So we talked about how I think of trust as increasing the risk-taking behavior of researchers, which has an implication. It's a change in the choice of a project taken by the researchers. And if you think about the empirical distributions of project being taken and outcome, we think that under trust and mechanism of risk-taking, it's about increasing the sort of the entail. So we have higher number of um, higher quality research, potentially more failure, which I cannot observe, which I cannot measure. If it's really driven by other mechanism in the sense of, you know, it's better coordinations, better quality of uh, communications and so on and so forth, you think of it's also improving the average quality of own project. So it's not about changing the choice of project we've taken, but it's about uh, the same type of project, but the average outcome of that distribution or shifting the distribution of project outcome to the right. And so I did a bit of work in the paper of sort of um, thinking through the empirical model of how to distinguish between these two mechanisms. And what I do find is that under very certain mild assumptions that we always get fewer of higher quality research, then under the risk-taking mechanism, the effect of trust or risk-taking will be mostly on the right tail of higher quality pattern. We may not observe so much of the effect on lower quality pattern. Why in the in the mechanism of really improving the quality of project, you know, it's about coordination, it's about communication, we should see an increase in both higher quality and lower quality pattern. That's a prediction that I can bring to the data and test. And what I find is indeed that I have very strong effect 
on higher quality pattern. All this increase in innovation, both at the bilateral or the generalized level, is on the higher quality one. I see absolutely no effect on the lower quality pattern, which is consistent with the risk taking that is explained by trust and not so much consistent with other mechanisms that just going to the fact that you and I work better together because we are more culturally uh, similar to one another. Let me see whether I understood this last this last part. So you are saying we have this shock to the firm yes. or to the lab, okay, mm-hmm. uh, which increases trust, and we document empirically that this is associated with an increase in patterns. Okay, that that's fine. And now you say, well, there are like a really high quality patterns, patterns that have been cited a lot that we can in other ways regard as patterns that have had a, like a big a big effect uh, on the world and other patterns that well have been filed but have been relatively obscure even after many years of being filed okay so then the first type are the high quality patterns the second type are the low quality patterns and then you idea is that we have two ways in which trust could affect innovation one of them is by increasing the risk taking, okay, going for a high risk, high reward projects that are not going to pan out, but if they do, they're going to be, you know, life changing and all, or doing innovation that is more like incremental, more boring, like extensions on current things that we are doing. And of course, your model and the intuition is that the, the first type of innovation should be the one that is most affected by trust, okay, because this, uh, higher likelihood to tolerate failure, yes. whereas the second should not. And this is indeed what you find in the data. That's correct. That is indeed what I find in the data, that the effect is only on the high risk, high returns, what you call like the exploration type project instead of the exploitation, which are incremental, which on one hand is not consistent with the story of trust going to sort of increased delegation or cooperation. It's also not consistent with the story where it's not trust, but it's about people speaking the same language or people understand each other better and therefore they work better together. Here is where I, I can see how the finding that it is the high quality patents is consistent mm-hmm. with, you know, your hypothesis or the mechanism that you are trying to un- un- uncover. Yeah. It is a little bit less clear why this is so inconsistent with other stories such as, for instance, delegation. And, and here would be my idea. Imagine that researchers are close to the uh, frontier of knowledge and CEOs are further away. Mm-hmm. This is what typically we will expect because in these firms, the CEOs have been at the forefront of activities many years ago. So their technological knowledge is much more likely to be outdated than those in the front line currently. No? Mm-hmm. So imagine then that um, researchers have ideas about what projects should be undertaken. And these ideas come from observing the rapid, you know, the rapidly changing situation on the ground, whereas CEOs are more outdated and they will favor innovation on things that are a little bit more old-fashioned or, you know, more incremental innovation. It will follow there that if trust encourages delegation or even if the new CEO is associated with more delegation, then the CEO allows the researcher on the front line to pick up, to pick the project. And the project that is being picked up 
is the one that, from the fact that it is closer to the frontier, is more high risk and, and, and high reward. Your findings wouldn't seem to me so inconsistent with, uh, with this delegation channel. Yes, that's right. That, that's a very, very great point. So what I'm thinking when I talked about um, delegations improving the project quality or the project. So in general, when we talk about delegations or cooperation, not exactly the same thing, but things in that direction, uh, we think of that sort of improving the average outcome of in expectations of the type of project being taken. The result that I do say that, you know, we should expect both increase in low and high quality pattern coming from the implicit assumption that this increase in project quality, it distributed evenly across the project outcome. And the example that you just gave is one where we actually have this um, delegation leading to uh, improvement in project outcome that is more skewed toward the higher quality and low quality, which is a very specific construction. In that case, the result will also be consistent with that. So I fully agree that uh, there's a certain world that I'm hitting here that, you know, in order to really tease out the different mechanisms, there's certain assumption they have to make. And there's only way for you to come up with the really no alternative story that can fit the empirical data that I'm finding here. I think that in the paper, you cite Aguna and Tirol. Definitely, Aguna and Tirol is, is a model of delegation leading to more effort. So there is no project choice yeah. there necessarily. Yeah, so I just so like in general effort. Yeah, so it's more like because I'm getting model, I put more effort in and that's increase everything. And I think the one that you just gave me is where, you know, there's also building the project choice there because of the discrepancy between the choice being the CEOs and the researchers. So I think in the standard Agion uh, anterior model, it's you know CEOs and uh, researchers have different choice. And when there's more delegation, the researchers get to work on the one that they prefer and they have incentive to provide in the effort that improve our quality outcome. And in your example, there's an additional element of you know there's a specific heterogeneity between the CEO project and the researcher project along the dimensions of researcher projects are more likely to be high risk, high return, and CEO projects are more likely to be the lower quality, the exploitation type. And so when there is that specific heterogeneity building that can fit my data with and uh, yeah, the way that I just explained. Of course, if you if you start adding degrees of freedom to the model or to the to the yeah. theoretical framework that you have, you can of course explain everything. Yeah, so that's that's yeah. That's you know, like yeah. what I propose is a model with more degrees of freedom. Yeah. So yeah. Was the, that was richer in which there were more things to be chosen, right? So exactly. but yeah. anyway, I don't I don't know whether it represents an accurate description of how the world works or not, because I don't directly study this field, but it's something that came to mind. So another question that I had is, how big are these effects? Okay, you have been saying innovation increases, innovation increases, innovation increases, but how much are these like meaningful numbers? I would say, so let me give you the precise number and then we can discuss whether these are meaningful. So what I find is that at the generalized level, one standard deviation increase in CO trust lead to a 6% increase in patentings on an annual basis. So every year compared to the other one, you have um, the firms with the lower trust CEO have additional 6% increase. Magnitude-wise, at the bilateral level, the numbers are very similar. So once the deviations increase in the CEO by, uh, the lateral trust, lead to about 5% increase in patenting by the respective lab. And so at the average, what it translates, like a 6% increase in pattern on an annual basis lead to or translate into about like 1.1, 1.2 additional patterns per year. And if you look at the monetary of these patterns, I'm using the estimate coming from the work of Kogan and co-authors, looking at the stock market reactions on the date of a pattern um, of being public as a measure for the quality of the patterns, this is about $7 million. 
So an additional in terms of $7 million. And I do find that between firms with lower trust and high trust CEO, there's not much of a difference in R&D expenditure. So this is not really coming from the high trust the CEO firm, putting in more innovation, putting forth the same amount of R&D expenditure. You get an additional patent per year that is of about $7 million in value. So I have two questions there. The first one is, is $7 million a lot? Like $7 million is a lot for me, but these companies are very big. How much is that as compared to average revenues? I think the average firms in my sample is about 300 million in revenue. So this 7% is it's about like, you know, 2%, you know, yeah. 2% of revenue, which is, I would say that it's not yeah. small, yeah. You know, especially when you think that it's actually an annualized effect. So it's like 7 million every single year. It's not just at one shot. And not to mention that this is purely the private returns. The measure of quality here is based on stock market reactions to the pet, uh, to the date of the patents being filed and being uh, approved. So that's purely the private return of the firm. We haven't talked about the social returns, and we know that patents have spillover, and these are high quality patents. There's a potential of dimensions of social returns that we haven't, um, we, we cannot really capture in numbers here. The social returns from the literature can be rather large. So the other related question that I have here is the following. If this is so good, why isn't every CEO Belgian? Why are there Italian CEOs at all in your sample? Because if Belgian CEOs are associated with 2 to 3% higher revenue than Italian CEOs, we should only observe those. Of course, one possibility is that there are other dimensions at the individual level. Another possibility is that there are other things about Belgian CEOs that in other dimensions make them worse than the Italian CEOs. That is, they are better for innovation, but they are worse for cost-cutting or or whatever, or mergers and acquisitions. Other dimensions that justify the fact that rationally run firms hire them at all or higher Belgians, less than 100%, Italians more than, than 0%. Yeah, that's a great one. So I think that there's sort of a couple of points I want to mention. So the first one, exactly what you said, is that what I'm looking at here is innovation. There's another aspect of firm operation that matter here, like, you know, sales, marketing, cost optimization, and other side of that factors. And also the element between sort of the matching between trust of the CEO and the firm overall environment. Trust leads to more innovations always, but whether it's optimal also, even at the firm level, it also depends on the matching between the CEO trust and the firm environment. So that relationship between trust and uh, other aspects of firm performance, such as sales and TFP, um, as a function of the f- uh, research poor quality, I did study that in the paper, and I do find it very similar to innovations that trust actually lead to a positive effect or positive increase in uh, TFP and sales when the researcher pool seems to be high, but when we're uh, based on my proxy that the researcher pool in the firm is of likely lower quality, trust can even have a potentially negative effect on the other dimensions. You have touched on the last issue question that I had, which is that, so these firms are very big. And typically we would expect that the CEO and the researcher, they don't really know each other personally because they are separated by layers and layers of management. Of course, in, in your theory model, there are only two agents and, you know, everything is very simple. But in, in fact, they may not even be the same country because, as you said, we are looking at labs that are in different countries. We may not know in, the, in our country 
the details about what is going on in the headquarters and so on. So we need some type of mechanism to understand how the change in the characteristics of the CEO will trickle down to the beliefs on the researchers' part about whether their innovation efforts will be rewarded or punished and in turn, you know, to the choice of project efforts or or whatever. And you mentioned there the role of culture. Can you expand a little bit about what culture is, how you measure it in practice, what you find and so on? Yeah, definitely. So there are two evidence that suggest a change or soft change in the firm culture that I do find. So precisely what may measure culture here is an index coming from the text analysis of online employee review or platform uh, such as Glassdoor, so where I collect millions of reviews for these firms. And through the text analysis, sort of squeezing out measuring, you know, the degree to which how employees within the firm trust one another. So this is not necessarily the trust toward the managers or the CEO, but trust among people in the firm. And this index it's quite at the aggregate level. So because of the limit in terms of the numbers of reviews needed to construct a reliable index, actually have the measure at the CO tender level. So for each firm under each CO tender, there's a measure of how much employee in the firm trust one another. And what I do find is that even within the same firm, but you think that corporate culture can be a very slow moving object. I do find that under a more trusting CEO, there seems to be a shift in firm culture in the degree of how much people trust one another within the firm. So that sort of gives suggestion to sort of a trickle-down effect of the attitude and behavior of the CEO somehow influence how everybody at the bottom or the lower level interacted with each other. And so how does it really happen? Here's where I only have suggestive evidence, but I have data on the top management of the, of the firm, the top management team, and I do find that following a new seal, the more trusting seal coming in the firm, there seems to be more trusting managers moving into the top management team and less trusting manager moving out of the top management team. So that can be a potential channel for how this culture of trust being trickled out from the seal to the different layers of organizations toward the level of researchers. But again, I have to highlight that this is really you know, indirect and suggestive evidence. This is a very interesting channel. The CEO changes, and then the CEO does two things. Number one is write a new address in the weekly bulletin of the firm, (laughs) talking about how trust is important or their commitment to trust or whatever, or alternatively implement processes or policies or whatever that are associated with more trust. Number two, change the top leadership leadership team below the CEO, and they in turn do other things that further increase the level of trust. This is captured in the measure that you have as to how much the workers in the firm trust each other. And you are finding that during CEO spells within the same firm, in which the CEO is associated with more trust, more ethnic trust, the way that you are measuring it up to this point, then the trust at the firm level as captured by these online reviews that you have from this website uh, also, also increases. Exactly. This brings me to another question, which is how quickly you will expect to see these effects in terms of translating into the patents that they are the final link in that chain 
of events that you are documenting. Because so you have a very interesting figure in the paper, which is the figure that everybody doing a difference in difference estimation will want to get in advance, okay? which is that you have the evolution of patents for two types of firms. Mm-hmm. The first type replaces a CEO with another one that has more trust than the departing CEO. The second type replaces a CEO with another CEO that has less trust mm-hmm. than the departing CEO. And you find that prior to the moment in which the CEO transition takes place, the number of patents had basically a flat trend okay, for both types of firms. And when the CEO transition takes place for the first type, the number of patents shoots up for the second type, the number of patents goes down. And correct me if I'm wrong, but approximately it takes around a couple of years. You're absolutely right. It's very quick. Very quick. Yeah. But here you need a lot to explain this figure, right? Because you need the following sequence of events. You need that the CEO arrives and then the CEO changes the top leadership leadership team and the culture or the culture through the top leadership team. So these things one would expect are not going to happen overnight. Exactly. You know? After like, the culture, maybe it will vary with the existing CEO, but it will take a while. Then the researchers need to receive that signal and they need to select the projects in a different way than if they were receiving different signals about whether their efforts or project selection will be rewarded or not. Then these projects need to be translated into successes or failures or you know life-changing innovations or yeah. not. And all this needs to happen between within two years. Now, if this was the case of academic economists, this will be completely implausible <laughs> because exactly. the lags between having an idea and publishing the paper are definitely not two years, three, four, five, you know, uh, sometimes a decade. Mm. Here, you, you argue that many of these uh, patterns are obviously scientific and also the lags are, are shorter, but still you are adding it up to the changing culture. Does it seem like all this could start to happen within within a couple of years? Yeah, no, that that's definitely um, a puzzle. And so let me give you some of the explanations or evidence that I have found that somewhat can help actually explain the puzzle. So the first one is that in terms of um, the lag between R&D and patenting here. So what I what we measure here is not the terms of the, the patents being approved, but the time that is first being filed. So it's you could think of in academic, it's not the time that the paper is published, but the time that we have first have a working draft. And that is actually significantly shorter than the time that is going to patent. And why I'm using that measure, that's quite standard in the innovation literature. That allows us to have a better sense of the timing of the actual innovation. And the fact that in the US, uh, 90% of applications get approved. So there's not a huge gap between, you know, uh, applications and uh, patent being granted. So that time is actually much shorter. And I also find this effect mostly in uh, industry where the timeline between R&D and patents are relatively shorter, like things in IT and to a certain extent in um, electrical engineering. In pharmaceutical, where you feel like, you know, the, the common wisdom is that the lifetime of the project is so much longer. It can be decades. It can be even longer than the tenure of the CEO. I do not see much of an effect there. So a lot of this very quick response happened in industry where we know that there's a very short timeline between R&D and patent application. The second, so the first part of the puzzle is still, you know, that we still need a bit of time between the seal coming in and the reaction 
from the researchers. And here is where I only have indirect evidence based on my personal experience and also anecdotals. This can happen at varying time length in different firms. Sometimes it can be relatively quick because of the you know, new CEO coming in, making all this address, sort of you know, making a statement or credible um or like an, or sort of like a really announcement to like, you know, let's change the culture, you know, let's change the direction of research, you know, let's make sure that we're going for the high risk, high return one where um, we wait you out, we will tolerate your failure. That type of message can be delivered pretty quickly. The change in top management that I'm seeing here as I talk about sort of new seal coming in and more trusting management coming in, less trusting management moving out, also happened very relatively quickly within the first two years of the CEO entering the firm. And also, um, there can be a potential argument that researchers, you know, with a, a new CEO coming in with a certain type of reputation based on his prior or past experience in other firms, can already inform the people at the lower level and start trigger and triggering some new set of activities and behavior even before the soft changes actually already happen. You know, that certain part is, I would say, um, speculative in the sense that I don't have direct empirical evidence to really back that up. So we have already spoken about the policy implications or welfare effects from this study. Not super clear, given that maybe there are counterbalancing effects or, or whatever. But one thing that definitely uh, you pointed uh, in the paper is that this uh, link that you established here represents a good uh, micro-foundation for a macro-relation that the other people have documented. Yes, definitely. So... In terms of whether thinking about the contribution of the papers, of course, it's talk about innovations of a role, but we know a lot about trust in general. We know that trust matters for growth. There's a lot of evidence and a lot, you know, a lot of them can be interpreted as causal. We know about innovations. Uh, we don't know much about the relationship between the two at the micro level, but at the micro level, we know that trust causally lead to growth and we know that growth um for growth to happen, we need innovation. So a lot of endogenous growth theories talk about innovation as a key driver of growth. So that's really implies that maybe this relationship between trust and growth that we see at the macro level have to go to innovation somehow. And there's been a correlation being documented out there at the cross-country, across state level, between trust, attitude, and pattern level. We know much less about whether there's a real relationship at the micro level and not to mention whether that's a causal relationship. And that's why I see a big contribution of the paper filling in the gaps of the vacuum. At the macro level, we know the relationship, but at the micro level, we know very little about whether there's really a causal relationship and how that happens. Frank, thank you for coming to the program. Thank you so much, Jody. It's a pleasure talking to you about the project. I've been speaking with Frank and Guyen, and this episode has been produced by Anderson Tan. Music and logo by Aitana Planesiso. Check this feed for more episodes of the Visible Hand podcast.